We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hola Chargers fans, yo soy Steven y quiero darles la bienvenida a nuestro podcast Guilty as Charged y también decirles feliz 5 de mayo. Bonjourno. <laughs> How you doing Steven? Thank you for doing that introduction on 5 de mayo. I'm doing great man. Awesome. So today we're just talking about position battles on the roster. We know who was drafted, we know who the free agents are, we know who they traded for, uh, we know who the undrafted free agents are, and so now we're going to expand and talk about the position battles on the roster. Jason is not with us here today. He is sick. So it's just me and Steven again. Uh, so let's get started. Let's get right into it. The first one we're going to talk about is the running back two battle. If you're calling Eckler the running back one. That's between Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. I think this is a very interesting one. I would have assumed heading into the draft that Jackson was the clear cut number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having drafted a guy in the fourth round, I think it's a little bit interesting. The Chargers... Certainly have a history of letting the best guy win. You know, he Telesco has cut his draft pick the same offseason as he drafted him in favor of someone like Brandon Oliver. So uh, what are your thoughts on this battle overall and who do you think comes out on top? Well, I think I personally think that Justin Jackson is the more talented runner. I think he has better mm-hmm. vision and balance and Jason is very uh, adamant about that same kind of thing. But just kind of talking to Gilbert Manzano and hearing what Anthony Lynn has said, I ultimately think that Joshua Kelly is going to be the de facto number two in this backfield. Um, I think if Eckler's getting 12 carries and you know getting six, seven targets a game, I think that's probably where Anthony Lynn wants him. As much as we all think that Austin Eckler can handle a workhorse 
uh, load. I just don't think we're going to see it. So I think he's going to use Joshua Kelly to kind of be the physical downhill runner that he wants. And, you know, Gilbert brought up a great point when once Melvin Gordon was back and up to speed on the offense and stuff, he went right back into the full workload. And Austin mm-hmm. Eckler's workload drastically decreased. So Anthony Lane wants a physical runner. I don't know if he would give Joshua Kelly the full workload this early on. I think Austin Eckler would still be the number one. But I think, listening to his comments, I think he views Justin Jackson as an Austin Eckler replacement or insurance. And I think he views Joshua Kelly as the Melvin Gordon replacement. So I think even though Justin Jackson is more talented and probably more athletic than Joshua Kelly, we just haven't seen him be on the field for very much. And so I think there's a bit of a worry from a coaching standpoint if Justin Jackson can handle the physicality of being a number two runner. Yeah, absolutely. And we have not seen him do well. Not only have we not seen him be on the field that much, he it's not like he's been incredibly effective and there are games. He's been amazing. And like you said, I do think Jackson's the better guy, but in 2018, he finishes the season with games of, you know, 1.7, 3.6, 1.7 yards per carry to close out the regular season. And then in 2019, he starts off with three really good games. Then he misses five and he comes back and has two carries. Then he misses another three, plays another two games, and then misses another game, you know, finishing the season with 38 total touches. So, I mean, yeah, like, they haven't seen him that much. But I guess my next question is, I know, I guess, I mean, Eckler's the running back one, I suppose. Like, he'll get probably the most touches, I would yeah. think. Or do you think Kelly ends up getting, or, or Jackson, whoever ends up being running back two. Like, how much of this split it looks like last year, where Gordon got more of the touches, but Eckler was just, like, obviously the better running back do you think it's more evenly split this time around like how do you think that works out this year right now I feel like Austin Eckler is going to get 65 60 percent of the touches just because he clear I think he's clearly the best runner and I think he's you know the best weapon but a lot of that is going to come in the passing game obviously so um I think at the start of the season Kelly and Jackson might be splitting close to even the, the the rest of the touches, but I think by season's end, Joshua Kelly is going to get, you know, eight to 12 carries a game. And a lot of it's going to be, you know, the goal line short yarded situations because he is the most physical. He is the most powerful of the three. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love Austin Eckler, we've seen him, you know, fumble in key situations down close in the goal line. And so, Joshua Kelly is going to have his chance, and I think he probably scores seven or eight times this year just on goal line situations. So it'll be really interesting, and I do think right away the smart play would be to split Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson's workload pretty evenly and then let Joshua Kelly build up a rhythm, build up some confidence, and then eventually give him the reins of the the 8 to 12 carries a game. All right, so the next one, the next one we'll talk about is wide receiver three, another position that is going to be returning guys versus some draft picks. This one would be KJ Hill versus Joe Reed versus Andre Patton. I mean, obviously, I don't think they believe in Patton at this point if you take two receivers to take your job. Yeah. Um, although, I think this battle really comes down to KJ Hill and Andre Patton, and not because I think Joe Reed's not a, like a better receiver or anything. I just think KJ Hill versus Andre Patton fits kind of that wide receiver three mold. Whereas Joe Reed is going to be a guy who maybe even gets you know more touches, but not because he's the wide receiver three, but because he lines up in the backfield, because he's the you know I guess it's special teams, but kick returner, punt returner, you know he'll run with the football, he'll do a screen, do stuff like that. But so I think this battle, 
even though Joe Reed might end up with more touches, I still think this is a KJ Hill versus Andre Patton battle. And who do you think comes out on top? Yeah, just like you, I think snaps-wise, this is going to be KJ Hill versus Andre Patton. I think Joe Reed, they're going to realize pretty quick that he is you know, an explosive after the catch player, but he needs some work in the route running department. So that's going to be a key thing to focus in on for him. So I think I could see him playing like 15, 20 snaps a game, but he gets the ball a lot in those snaps. Mm-hmm. And the difference between Patton and Hill for me, obviously KJ Hill is a superior route runner, but Andre Patton's a great blocker. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing. If they're going run run heavy, they need those really good blockers on that on the perimeter, and that's Andre Patton. I don't know if that's KJ Hill. Um, I didn't see him do a whole lot of blocking, and you know Andre Patton. You know, for all of his faults, that's who he is. Is is he's a nasty blocker, and so if him and KJ Hill are splitting reps, I wouldn't be surprised. But I mean, Andre Patton played a lot last year, and he had like twelve catches. So. Uh, I would expect KJ Hill to be around the 400 to 500 uh, yard mark this season and maybe mm-hmm. give you like 35, 40 catches. Yeah, makes sense. So do you think, I guess, make a decision here, who's winning, Hill or Patton? I think it'll be KJ Hill. Again, Okay. You know, we've seen this coaching staff want to ease in their rookies and make things easier on them. So I think at the start, Andre Patton would be getting more snaps and then they would work KJ Hill in. But K.J. Hill, I think he's going to, by season's end, he's going to be a really good player for this team and really reliable. And Gil yeah. Manzano mentioned this too. Like, you can do a lot of different things with him and Keenan Allen. Like, you don't always have to have yeah. K.J. Hill in the slot. You can put him on the outside, but Keenan Allen in the slot. So there's a lot of versatility there. And, you know, he's going to be a reliable player for Tyrod Taylor. So that's really what's going to help him win a position battle like this. Yeah, I'm glad they got a guy like K.J. Hill because I was looking at the roster and I was always worried, like, you can kind of replace Mike Williams. There wasn't really anybody on the roster who can replace Keenan Allen yeah. should Keenan Allen go down. And while Keenan Allen's been very, very, very consistent the last three years, you know, you got to keep that in the back of your mind that he missed a lot of time before that. So to have a guy like K.J. Hill, who's not Keenan Allen, but can at least do some of the Keenan Allen things, and let's say Mike Williams is healthy and does his regular thing, I think that kind of keeps the offense afloat a little bit should there be an issue. Hopefully not. Now, speaking of your Gilbert Manzano interview, I want to talk about Dan Feeney versus Forrest Lamp. Um, in particular, just at left guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make you know, from that interview? What do you take from that interview? I, I personally think Feeney is going to be the guy regardless, um, well, barring injury, I guess. Uh, so what did you get from that interview, and then what do you think happens here? Yeah, like you, I think this is Dan Feeney's job, and um I think Forrest Lamp provides you a higher ceiling at left guard. I think he's the more talented player. But mm-hmm. similar to Jackson, we just haven't seen him on the field a whole, a whole lot. And Dan Feeney has been one of the most reliable players on the team for the last couple of years. So I think yeah. they're going to look at this situation and say, you know, we have a great right side. We have a very good starting center in Mike Pouncey or, or Questenberry or even Dan Feeney himself. Um, but it, Gilbert made it seem like Mike Pouncey's ready to go. So... Yeah, If you have three positions uh, from center to right tackle that are very, very good and you have a project left tackle, you want reliability at left guard, and that's going to be Dan Feeney. So whether we as fans like it or not, you know, I want Forrest Lamp to be out there. But you know, as cliche as, as it sounds, availability is the number one ability you have as an NFL player, and Dan Feeney is always available. He's always reliable. Yep, I don't think he's going to give you any PFF elite grades very often, but he's going to be very solid (laughs) and he's going to do his job and not be terrible at it, but not be great either. 
Yeah, and the other thing I want to talk about is that Forrest Lamp to left tackle idea. Uh, I didn't really buy it to begin with. I think it was a great idea in 2017, maybe 2018, maybe even 2019. But at this point, you know, everything you know about how difficult it is to go from left tackle to guard or guard to tackle or whatever, you know, for him to play all this time at left guard and then now try left tackle. Like I get that he played it in college and he played it really, really, really well, but he's been playing left guard since 2017. Yeah. That's going to be so difficult. So I know Gilbert Manzano said he doesn't really buy it either that he's going to be playing left tackle. So this is this is basically Trey Pipkin's job. I don't think there's even a training camp battle. Um, if he plays at left tackle during the preseason, or if Lamp plays at left tackle during the preseason, that's great. He should. You know, he should play maybe both just because someone could go down and he needs to be available mm-hmm. at some spot. I just don't buy it. So, I mean, I don't think you buy it either at this point. No, when they signed Russell Okung, I figured that they would put Forrest Lamp at right tackle. I figured mm-hmm. that once... I figured that he would compete with Joe Barksdale on right tackle, and then he would obviously win that job. But, you know, went to Sam Tevy after Barksdale went down. So I agree with you that Forrest Lamp is probably the best backup, and I think if anyone goes down at either tackle spot, it should be Forrest Lamp to come into the game. And Mm -hmm. whether that's left guard or right guard, or or if anyone goes down, bring in Forrest Lamp as the first guy. Like, I don't want to see Sam Tevy anymore. I don't want to see Trent Scott. Like, Yeah, and God... Forrest Lamp can still have a good career as a backup, but it seems like mm-hmm. if he doesn't win this battle this year, I I don't know if he's going to start ever unless it's due to injury, like you said. And the Trey Pipkins thing, I think unless they sign Jason Peters, I think this is Trey P- Pipkins' job, which is fine. I think if you have a developmental left tackle, like I was saying, if you have one weak link on the offensive line, that's much better than when anything the Chargers have had in the past. And... You know, you can do a lot of different things with your left tackle with a mobile quarterback to make things easier for him. So, you know, we have this typical Phil Rivers lens on our eyes for the last 15 years where it's like, oh, the left tackle position is going to be a disaster. But, you know, they can do a lot of different things to make things easier on Trey Pipkins and Dan Feeney on the left side and just focus everything on the right side. Bootleg right for Tyrod, bootleg right for Justin Herbert. And that's one of the things I talked about in my Justin Herbert video is it makes things easier for the quarterback. It makes things easier for the mm-hmm. left tackle and it gets people in a rhythm on offense overall. Well, thank you for that segue because I want to talk about the <laughs> next battle on this roster. I don't think this is going to be a battle. Lynn says there's going to be a competition, but I don't think at any point, at least before week one, I don't think Justin Herbert's going to overtake Tyrod Taylor. There are things that Justin Herbert does that Tyler, Tyrod, not Tyler, haha, that Tyrod Taylor cannot do. Justin Herbert is a bigger guy. He can throw it. He's an amazing arm talent. Other than that, it's not like you have Phillip Rivers and you're trying to get Tyrod Taylor into the game because he is mobile and he'll limit turnovers. I mean, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, they're both mobile. They will both limit turnovers. And just because Justin Herbert has a better arm and is more athletic, at least in terms of physicality, I don't think that means he's going to you know, start over Tyrod Taylor anytime soon. There's nothing really there that Justin Herbert has to close that gap between him and Tyrod Taylor all that much. So I just think this is Tyrod Taylor's job for 16 games plus this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, we've talked about this same thing a bit. You know, if there was a regular offseason, sure, let Justin Herbert start. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the best case scenario here for Justin Herbert is that he gets a training camp and that's it. So, 
Anthony Lynn has become a, a, a master in coach speak, and I think that's what this is. He's, he doesn't <laughs> want to make it seem like they're not going to give Justin Herbert a fair chance, but yeah, barring injury, this is going to be Tyrod Taylor's season, and I think he's going to do very well, and, and I know you agree with that. And Yes, I do. I think a lot of people have this negative connotation around him from his Cleveland days, and that just needs to stop. Because the Cleveland coaching staff, they all got fired, first of all. They were all bad at their jobs. Mm -hmm. And they were not creating an offense for Tyrod Taylor. They were planning for Baker Mayfield to take over at some point. This offense is going to be tailor-made for Tyrod Taylor. I mean, it's obviously going to be tailor-made for Justin Herbert. But Tyrod Taylor is a perfect fit for what Anthony Lynn is going to be doing. And Shane Steichen this this year. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I you know we talked about his ceiling. I don't know if the Chargers could win a Super Bowl with Tyrod Taylor, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty confident that they'll will be in the playoff hunt. And you know if they win a wild card game, I would not be surprised. So this offense is going to be very different, but it's going to be all Tyrod, and it's going to be him all season long, unless he gets hurt. I don't think Justin Herbert really can do anything to overtake him this year. Do you think there's a shot? If, because the Chargers, for some reason, have had a really late buy the last couple of years, like at least as far as I'm paying attention as a fan. Yeah. I feel like they always have like a week eight, week nine, week 10 kind of buy. What was last year? Week 12 or something really, really late. Is that at least, is that the earliest you'll see Justin Herbert come in after that buy? Or do you think it's just, it's just completely Tyrod's team from here on out? Yeah, unless this team is like really struggling and, and clearly needs mm-hmm. a spark of, of youth. I don't think that Justin Herbert should play in the first two thirds of the season. Like mm-hmm. with the limited reps that he's going to have because of the shortened off season, you know, he's going to need to have practice reps to be ready. So if they decide to play him, the best week to do that is over a bye week. You give him two yeah. weeks of practice as the starter. And like you said, if it's week 12 and the team is, you know, four and six, then yeah, by all means go for it. But if they're sitting in in week ten and they're seven and three or six and four, then it should be Tyrod's show to continue that because you know we've seen that nine and seven gets you into the playoffs in the AFC. Yeah. So as long as they're in the playoff hunt, it should be Tyrod's job. And even then, it has to be like it can't just be like oh we're gonna give it to Herbert and he's gonna be the guy. Like there has to be a plan because the last thing yeah. that you want is to see Justin Herbert come in. And, you know, there's all this fan pressure to see him start games and be playing and be the guy. And then they put him in against, like, before the Vikings game from last year, for example, where they just yeah, have no exactly. way to succeed. And that's what happens so often with these rookie quarterbacks is when they do come in, it's just fan pressure and owner pressure. And so the coaching staff doesn't have the ability or the time to make an offense around him that works. And that's my fear is that they're sitting at 4-7 and seven and they – you know, the owner wants to see Herbert and the fans want to see Herbert and they put him in and he's not ready and they put him in in a position where he's not able to succeed. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a worry that I have for Justin Herbert because he needs those reps. He needs time to prepare mentally and physically for the NFL. And I don't think he's ready right now. So how would you build this offense? around? I know you've been watching a little bit more Justin Herbert tapes. So how would you build this offense around him? And does Tyrod Taylor run pretty much the same thing so it's an easy transition for this offense yeah I think it's going to be an easy transition because I think with Tyrod Taylor you can do so many different things with the read option game and that's what Justin Herbert did all the all the time at Oregon you know 
Yeah. I send this to you. They ran plays out of the pistol. Like every other play was a pistol formation for Oregon. So I think there's a definite clear path, uh, a clear segue from Tyrod Taylor to Justin Herbert that we can see. But it's going to be a run-heavy offense for both of them. And both of them are going to have the opportunity to create some some uh, running lanes with their legs and be able to do some things uh, in the option game. And like I mentioned, the bootleg thing, I think Justin Herbert, one of his best attributes is his accuracy on the run. Um, so I think you bootleg yeah. him out and... I think you're really going to see this offense kind of shift into the Shanahan read option mobility kind of offense. And I think that really fits Justin Herbert's game and it fits Tyron Taylor's game too. All right. So let's go from the most important position to the, I don't know, not as much important position. That'd be the strong safety two battle. I guess the chargers really benefited from having depth behind German James last season because they had to roll through James, then Phillips, then teamer, then Watkins, and luckily they had Watkins. Um, but for now, it's just Roderick Teamer versus sixth-round pick Alohi Gilman. You've been also telling me you've been watching a lot of tape on Gilman, and you don't think that Gilman <laughs> is going to have a shot at this job. No, at least not this year. Um, he was actually a question from one of our Patreons. Um, I, I just, in space, Alohi Gilman is really going to struggle. If he has the free mm-hmm. reign to just come down to the line of scrimmage and just rush through gaps and take on blockers and, and just hit you, then yeah, that he can do that. That's his strength is he's a powerful hitter. He takes on blocks well, but he takes such bad angles outside and in space. And he, people make him miss very frequently because he takes bad angles. He's limited athletically. And that would just kind of scare me if he came in. And, you know, granted, it would scare me if Roderick Teamer came in too. But <laughs> I think Teamer, for all of his, you know, inefficiencies and lack of athleticism, I think he understands angles. I think he's a smarter football player. And mm-hmm. he's better in coverage. Like I mentioned to you before we came on, there were these plays where Notre Dame would put him kind of in the middle at like 10 yards and just kind of track the the crosser routes and track the running backs out of the backfield. And he just, he's so indecisive. He doesn't know what to do with himself in those kind of situations. So if you put him on an island against a tight end, he's going to get burned. But, I mean, so is Roderick Teamer. <laughs> so <laughs> I think if, if either of these guys come in, I think it's going to be a bit of a scary thought. Um, you know, you mentioned Jalen Watkins. If they were able, is he still a free agent? I don't even know, but. No, I think he's he's with somebody else. I just can't remember okay. who. Okay, well that's annoying. Um, <laughs> I mean, good for him. I hope he's I hope he plays more. But yes, so, yes, absolutely. But I think they should bring in a, a veteran who can kind of do the same kind of thing and and bring more competition because I don't think either of these two are ready. I think if you have to mm-hmm. choose one, it'll be Teamer because he has that experience because he, he is smarter and he does understand angles better. I guess the other guy I want to bring up then, and we do have him, we are going to bring him up later, so you might as well just do it now. Nasir Adderley needs to get on the field somehow. Yeah. I, have, I have written down here Nasir Adderley versus Rayshon Jenkins, Nasir Adderley versus Desmond King, Nasir Adderley versus Michael Davis. Is there a chance that he even competes for strong safety too? Like he needs to get on the field somehow. And I feel like, you know, I don't, actually, he's not, not a bad hitter. Could he play strong safety? Like if he asked, if it was asked to? That's tough. I think his best his best position is free safety. I think that's where yeah. we want to see him, and I think that's where the coaching staff wants to see him. Um, and I do think Rayshon Jenkins does get 
too much hate from Chargers fans. I think a lot of that comes from Anthony Lane calling him elite, but we make we make yeah, jokes about fair. him, but it's just not fair to kind of put yeah that kind of pressure on him as a player to call him elite when he's clearly not. Um, yeah. But when Rayshon Jenkins was in the Adrian Phillips strong safety dime backer role, I thought he played really well in the playoffs, and I thought he was one of the main reasons that they were able to beat the Ravens in the playoffs in 2018. Mm-hmm. So when they came out and said that they were going to move him to free safety and then they drafted this year Adderley, I was really just confused. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, why are you spending a second round pick on this year Adderley if you're not going to play him at his position? Um, but yeah, I want to see Adderley on the field. I know he can play corner. I would be really mm-hmm. intrigued to see him go up against Michael Davis in camp and just kind of see how that would work out. Sure. But I just want to see him on the field. And, you know, if Derwin James goes down, I think the best plan of action would be to put Jenkins at strong safety and put Adderley at free safety. You read my mind. I was going to ask you that exact same thing. Is that pretty much the only way we're going to see Adderley in a starting role, at least early on, if James goes down? Yeah, I, it's just some. It's very similar to the Forrest Lamp thing. Like, I th- think if he doesn't win the job in the next couple of years, because Jenkins is a free is a free agent, and if he plays at the same level or more, then the team is going to bring him back because Anthony Lynn loves him and Tom Tedesco loves him. So, I think if Nasir Adderley doesn't play great this year. I think it's going to be a while before we see him as a full-on starter, which is just really unfortunate and sad for a guy that we were all we all wanted him to be taken in the first round. Right. Absolutely. So the fact that they were able to get in the second round was like, wow, this is a steal. This is going to be awesome. Uh, he's a perfect complement to Derwin James, and then now he can't get on the field. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next guy because I'm going to talk about Jerry Tillery <laughs> versus, I guess, Justin Jones. Uh. Yeah, that was interesting. Tillery was a, a healthy scratch in week 14. Yeah. I mean, he went from they try to throw him in there more when some guys were hurt to completely peeling him back. And I get it, it was more of his, you know, redshirt, freshman, whatever kind of year. He wasn't expected to do a whole lot coming off of that shoulder injury, I believe. You know, but Justin Jones never finished the season at less, I don't, I don't think at least, less than 60% of the snaps during any game. Or Tillery by the end of the season was kind of like a 30%. Is there, I mean, did you watch any Tillery film, I guess, and was there any improvement to warrant him in a short off season somehow jumping in front of Jones, or is this still Justin Jones, you think, week one? Well, it's weird because after he got the healthy scratch thing, I think he improved the last few games. Mm-hmm. Me, personally, like when they drafted him, a lot of people were comparing him to what the 49ers would be able to do with DeForest Buckner. Um just from a pass rush standpoint and from a size standpoint, like I understand that mm-hmm. because as a pass rusher, I think he offers a lot of upside. Yes. But I think Justin Jones is clearly a better player against the run. And I think he's more consistent. I think he plays with a higher motor. Like that's my biggest issue with Jerry Tillery is that he, I don't feel like he always is engaged at 100%. Whereas Justin Jones, I know he's going to come in and he's going to fly around and he's going to make plays. I don't know if Jerry Tillery is that, which, you know, maybe they have seen enough from him and maybe they're all ready to go all in on Justin Jones this year. And I think that would be understandable. Mm-hmm. But again, unless Justin Jones is injured, I don't know how much Jerry Tillery is going to be playing. Like, I think if you have a, a special role for him as a pass rush specialist, he can play 20 games, 20 snaps a game, excuse me, and be okay at it and, you know, get four or five sacks. And I think that's fine for this year. 
But, you know, they drafted him in the first round. Like, eventually he has to be the guy. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it was just a waste of a pick. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the pick. What do you think of him playing maybe if he can't beat out Justin Jones? What if he beats out, like, Isaac Rochelle? Yeah, that would work. I think, you know, they did a lot of that kind of thing with Damian Square where they put him at the three technique and put him as, you know, the end whenever they would put Melvin Ingram over the guard. And, you know, right. I would rather have that be Jerry Tillery than Isaac Rochelle because, like, I've seen on film Isaac Rochelle, he can beat his guy. But that's there's no production with Isaac Rochelle. With Jerry Tillery, yeah, like at least I feel like there would be some production. So if you put him on the end, I think he's quick enough. I think he's big enough where he could do a better job than Isaac Rochelle for sure. All right, let's move on to another person from that class, and that's Drew Tranquil. Now I believe because we're projecting Kenneth Murray to play Will, that we're just, we're kicking Drew Quen- bleh, Drew Tranquil inside to Mike, which he did last yeah. year with Denzel Perryman. I think, and last I was a victim of this last year. I, when I heard that Perriman was going to get the start again over Tranquil in the middle, I was like, "Oh my God, that's a terrible idea! Why would you do that? Tranquil's been playing pretty well. Might as well just ride with the guy from here on out." But Daniel Popper, the smart person that he always is, said, "Looking, not looking. Listen, you know, Perriman. Yeah, he might start as the starter, I guess, but Tranquil will probably get more snaps, and that's what ended up happening." Do you kind of see that happening again this year if Murray plays Will and Tranquil kicks inside? Or do you think Tranquil can just take it outright? That's tough. I think, you know, Denzel Perryman is a free agent this year. So I think by season's end, I think Drew Tranquil should have the role on lockdown. Hmm. But Denzel Perryman still has value as a run-stuffing linebacker. So if he's technically starting, I'm okay with it because he is very good against the run. Like if he only played on first downs, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like that makes sense. Yeah, And then, so you give 30% of the snaps to Perryman and he's technically the starter. I think that's okay. And, you know, I think we can consider both of them starters if Perryman, if uh, Tranquil is playing the majority of snaps, I mean. So I, I, I know Jason isn't super high on Drew Tranquil and I know fans on Twitter are kind of overvaluing him. So I'm kind of right mm-hmm. in the middle with Drew Tranquil. I really like him, but I don't think that he's like, this amazing linebacker like he is perceived on Twitter. I really like him. And I know that he, again, the effort thing, I know that Drew Trangle is going to come in and give his all. And he's got really good range. He's got good athleticism. And he's smart. So I get it. Like, I, I understand why Chargers fans like him so much. Um, but I think Denzel Perryman still has value. And I think that as a run-stuffing linebacker, you need that kind of juice. You need that energy that he provides. And especially in goal line situations where he's made plays repeatedly where he blows up goal line stands. So really good point. I think Denzel Perryman still has value. And if he's if he is labeled the starter, I think that's different than what the team is actually going to do with Drew Tranquil. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. makes sense. I totally get it. And I pretty much agree. That's, I think that's going to be the case heading into the season, at least early on. But yeah, if if Perryman's the free agent next year, you, you want to see Tranquil take those, those snaps by a year's end. The last guys I want to get into are tying back into our last episode regarding undrafted free agents. We've already talked about Isaac Rochelle, but he's got guys like Joe Gaziano and Jesse Lemonnier breathing down his neck. I don't think Rochelle sticks around. It wouldn't surprise me just because the Chargers will stick with their guys that they drafted. Like That just seems like something that they will do. Yeah. But they have some interesting options there. So of the two, of Joe Gaziano and of Jesse Lemonnier, who is more like that Isaac Rochelle guy. Because, I mean, personally, I think Lemonnier is more like a Ingram backup, but Ingram's got Uchenna and Mosu behind yeah. him. 
So do you think Gaziano kind of just wins it because he's more like Rochelle? Yeah, I think Gaziano is definitely the better fit for what Isaac Rochelle's role is. I think I agree with mm-hmm. you that Lemonye is more Uchenna and Wosu than Isaac Rochelle. Yeah. And so it's really interesting because when Rochelle comes in, it almost feels like they just have him set the edge and like they don't really, I don't want to say unleash because I don't think that he would he's being held back at all, but like, Mm-hmm. If Joe Gaziano came in and when it was just like, Joe, you just sit the edge. You know, if you can win your battle, like, go for it. We just want you to come in and be solid, set the edge, play with a high motor. I think Joe Gaziano yeah. can do that and, and excel in that kind of role. Um, he's not the quickest guy. He's not the most best athlete, but he's very fundamentally sound and he's very strong and is really good in the run game. So I could see them holding on to Lemonier just because he is more athletic and he does provide a little more upside but mm-hmm. joe gaziano i i would have been fine if they had drafted him in the sixth or seventh round you know it's really hard to ignore that production against the big 10 uh big 10 offensive tackles and yeah i can see him making the roster for sure i think he besides bobby holly i think he probably has the best chance of making the roster of the udfas well let's transition to that because <laughs> you are you are like setting me up perfectly today anyway Fullbacks, last one I want to talk about, Bobby Holly versus Gabe Neighbors. We've talked about this. I think Neighbors is a fine player. I wouldn't be surprised if he made the roster. Actually, I would be because Bobby Holly's amazing. the fullback. Yeah, He's the guy. Like, with all respect to Derek Watt, Derek Watt is incredible at those short yard runs. He somehow finds a way to pick up that first down. He's great on special teams. But I never saw Derek Watt do what I've seen Bobby Holly do. Now, in college, of course, it's different. But Bobby Holly is just something we haven't seen since the last guy who wore 41, which is what Bobby Holly is going to wear this season, which is so cool. Is it pretty much just Bobby Holly or bust for you at this point? Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned the Lorenzo Neal thing. Like The fact that they let Bobby Holly keep that number 41, mm-hmm. Like I know it's just numbers, and I know they're undrafted free agents and all, but like... Like, come on. Like, if they didn't think that he was going to make the roster, <laughs> they would have given him, like, number 37 or something like that. Like, you can't slap Lorenzo Neal's number on a fullback and then not have him make the roster. <laughs> That's a good point. Like you said, though, I think Gabe Neighbors has, if he does make it over Bobby Holly, it's because they value his special team's experience. Um, mm-hmm. I think as a receiver, they're kind of a wash. I think both of them are okay as receivers, I think. Neighbors is a little more nuanced in his route running, but Bobby sure. Holly can do the same kind of thing. And, you know, I never saw Neighbors carry the ball at all on any of the games that I watched him. And I watched like six or seven Florida State games from this last year. Um, mm-hmm. Bobby Holly has a nose for the end zone, similar to how Derek Watt does. And he can do some different things yes, absolutely. As, as a runner. But the number one thing you want to have a fullback is blocking. And Bobby Holly is a better blocker than a bunch of linemen I studied this year. So <laughs> like he has these moments where he just wants to take you off the screen. Like he's, it's incredible. He's nasty. And even against LSU where you think, Oh, this is Louisiana tech. Like it's not a small school, but you think that these guys would come into death Valley and be intimidated. And it was like, no, Bobby Holly got after it. <laughs> and I can't remember which LSU player it was, but he wanted to get him off the field. Like he's like, no, 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 no. This mm-hmm. is my field. This is my end zone. And so he just brings everything that I want in a fullback. And, you know, I, I'm all in on Bobby Holly. 
Yeah, me too. I was I was actually watching that game. I was I was hoping that the player I know who you're talking about, what player you're talking about. I was hoping that was Patrick Queen. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't. I don't know who it was. It was another defensive, like single digit number defensive back or something like that. It was like number seven or nine or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, that was the play that stood out for me because it was like the third play that came on where he just takes the guy and you're watching him. He's going from like the field goal post to like the pylon with this other guy. And then after the snap, after the whistle, he's still fighting with the guy. And the next play, he takes another guy from the field goal post to the right pylon. I said, you got to be kidding me. This guy just loves to do his fullback job. But I never considered that though. Like, yeah, if you put 41 on this guy, you're, yeah, you should make the team. Like you're giving him 41. I wonder if he request. I mean, I guess he had to request that. But that's a that's a statement. I would love to see a forty-one out there. That's a big deal for Chargers fans, and I know Chargers fans are super super high on him because of. Well, I I I blame us. I feel like we started that revolution there. It was like, you know, all three of us started tweeting at him on like or tweeting about him on like Monday night at like eleven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Bobby Holly had like, I mean, I checked, he had 174 followers before we even, like, nobody knew who Bobby Holly was. Like, even Gaziano has like 2,000 followers. I'm not saying followers are everything, and Holly's not really on Twitter, but the guy was, like, you know, less Twitter followers than most any other account I've ever seen. But he's, I think he's at like 350 now. Anyway, that's irrelevant. We think it's going to be Bobby Holly. I think he's going to make the roster. I think he has the best chance of making the roster. Is there anyone else? Any other position that you'd like to talk about in terms of training camp or preseason battles? Well, Gilbert Manzano kind of mentioned what they're going to do at corner. And I know that Chris Harris is going to be like the quote unquote starting nickel. Mm-hmm. But it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they dish out the rotations there because Chris Harris can play outside. You know, mm-hmm. he thinks Desmond King can play outside. I don't know. We've never really seen that. And then you have Michael Davis, who the team really likes. So. It's going to be really interesting to see how they dish out the snaps. And I think in my in my kind of world, like I would want Chris Harris to play 10, 15 snaps on the outside just to kind of limit the kind of things and mistake opportunities for Michael Davis or Brandon Faison. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's definitely something I'll be paying attention at during training camp because you know, I think so many people perceive Michael Davis as the weak link on the defense. And if you have Chris Harris mm-hmm. and Desmond King, you can – you know, those are two former all pro nickel corners. So you got You want both of them to be out there. So maybe they play more dime packages more often to get both of them on the field. Maybe Desmond King is in the Adrian Phillips role. So it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Like, I, yeah, Michael Davis is penciled in as the outside starter. And no, I don't think Desmond King is going to play outside. I don't think I've ever mm. seen him play outside. I don't think ever, but who knows? I mean, he's good at taking the ball away, but he's also like five, you know, five ten. He's not. He's gonna have a hard time out there. He's not particularly fast. It's just it's not coming out of college. I'm not saying Chris Harris is really big either, but you know, King, if he struggles with anything, it's it's coverage right now, and he's not very big. So putting him out there would be kind of tough against, I don't know, Henry Ruggs. For the love of God, well, that's gonna be terrible. Um, yeah, what the heck do they do? But anyway, it'll be a really interesting interesting battle because you can stick Adderley, Davis, King. Yeah, what is it? Harris out there. You know, there's a lot of options. Face on. Who knows? Like, no one's talking about face on. You know, he could take the job by the time training camp rolls around. Okay, actually, let's talk about that. Davis versus face on. Oh man, <laughs> who do you who do you start out there? I'm not really. It's pick your poison. I think face on's the tackler. Davis is the coverage guy. Yeah, but you know, you can't just like 
you know have one guy play first down the other guy play you know second i know I, I was gonna say i kind of view this very similar <laughs> to like perryman versus tranquil where like i could yeah. see face on playing exclusively like on first downs like just to be sure yeah. like that they have a sure tackler back there but sure i think michael davis you know he makes mistakes in coverage and he gets some defensive pass interferences because he doesn't turn his head around but i think for the mm-hmm. most part he does a pretty good job in coverage and he is a good athlete but it's just the tackling issues for me. Like, yep. opposite of Casey Hayward, I would rather have a guy who struggles in coverage but is a really good tackler than someone who mm-hmm. is okay in coverage but really struggles in tackling. Because yeah. when Casey Hayward drops deep, you know, typically that corner stays short or he stays in man coverage. And, you know, we saw in Mexico City, you know, he did really well in deep coverage for a couple plays. And then they just started doing some short passes over there. And, and he really started to struggle because he's a bad tackler. So, it's it's a tough one, and I think in the you know Gus Bradley, what he's kind of thinking of right now, I think he's kind of viewing this team as as almost like a small ball basketball lineup where he can just move guys around mm-hmm. and and just focus on the mismatches. So that'll be really interesting. But f- like I said, like for me, I would rather have the sure-handed tackler out there if I have to choose one of those two. I, I'm taking face on. I know like that's not popular, and I know people don't like face on, but. <laughs> He's a better tackler. It's as it's that simple to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will see. And for all of these, we will see. This is just who we're projecting right now. I feel comfortable about most of these. Yeah. I can kind of guess who's going to be the starter or the number one guy for the number two spot. Uh, so I don't really think there's going to be huge surprises. There's not really a lot of spots on the roster that are open for other undrafted free agents and other guys. So I think you just, you know, if you make an early 53-man roster... It's still 53, right? They didn't change yeah, it this offseason? it changes next offseason. Okay. So if you're making a 53-man roster right now, you're probably going to be 95% correct. Like, I don't think there's going to be huge surprises here, barring, like, Derwin James getting his foot stepped on and his, and his screw yeah. bent in his foot. So Teamer has to make the team. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, and I hope that doesn't happen. Um, so that's pretty much it for us. Quick episode today. Steven, where can they find you on Twitter? Follow me, Stephen I. Hagland or GAC Podcast 17 um, we have been seeing a bit of an increase in Patreon, so we, we thank you guys for who, who have recently joined us. Um, I'm going to keep doing the film breakdowns. Uh, I'm doing Alohi Gilman next, and then I'll jump back into Kenneth Murray and doing some of the other first-round pick or not first-round picks, the other rookies and UDFAs. And then once I get to all the rookies, I will go back to do some players from last year. So stay tuned for that. There's going to be a lot of good stuff on Patreon coming from our end. Yeah, Steven's doing a lot of really good work on Patreon, at least in terms of the videos right now. Like every time I watch, and the videos aren't that long, they're, but they're a good 20, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so, depending on who the player is. And I learn a lot. Like there's something I learn about, you know, football nuances. You know, what is what should Justin Herbert be looking at for his read option? Or um, I, I didn't know that like Mekhi Becton in this one other video you did, you know, took a step back before he went forward to block in the run block or something like that. You know, there's a lot of things that you point out that I think are really, really cool. And they're very, I, I learn a lot. So they're really good. You guys should definitely check them out. As for Jason, who's not here, he's at Sintari13 on Twitter, at GAC Podcast 17 on Instagram. And then for me, this is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shun on Twitter. Or you can search the Guilty as Charged podcast up on Facebook and find our Facebook page, which is just kind of hanging out for right now until we get closer to training camp. Uh, thank you guys for listening very much. Again, thank you for your Patreon support. Thank you for your reviews on Apple. Please review us wherever you find us. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys on Friday. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.